0: Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 17. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Leanne Svetan. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 17. Section 35 The Story of Caliph Stork from the Caravan by Wilhelm Hauf. Wilhelm Hauf eighteen o two to eighteen twenty seven wilhelm hauf was born at stuttgart november twenty ninth eighteen o two his brief life was as happy as it was uneventful he died at the age of twenty-five and the period of his literary work was comprised within his last two years this short time however sufficed to express his extraordinary genius though the loss to literature by his early death cannot be estimated he was the son of august friedrich hauf, government secretary of foreign affairs his father died when he was but seven years of age and the education of the children devolved upon the mother a woman of great intelligence whose influence over her sensitive son was the result of a perfect understanding of his emotional nature as a lad wilhelm hauff showed very little indication of talent his school career was far from brilliant and it was only in the family circle that he gave evidence of his real abilities he had absorbed goethe and schiller into his inmost fibre and with his mother and sisters for an indulgent audience he declaimed long passages from egmont and wallenstein he roved at liberty in the library of his grandfather which appears to have been a large miscellaneous collection from various languages and literatures and the fantastic character of his imagination was early manifested by his love for weird tales and stories of adventure his education was necessarily somewhat desultory as his constitution was delicate, and periodical attacks of illness precluded any systematic or rigorous course. In 1820 he entered the University of Tübingen, where, following the wishes of his mother rather than his own inclinations, he studied theology, and in 1824 received his degree. In 1826 appeared his first volume of tales, Das Märchenalmanach, The Story Almanac. Two other volumes of The Märchenalmanach followed, this first little collection of stories although overshadowed by his later works nevertheless strikes the keynote of his peculiar fancy nowhere are more strikingly shown his dramatic power and his delicious humour the success of this first effort encouraged him to devote himself wholly to literature the first volume of mitteilungen aus den memoiren des satan communications from the memoirs of satan a fragmentary production of much humour published anonymously appeared immediately after in eighteen twenty six and in the same year followed Der Mann im Mond, von H. Claren, The Man in the Moon, by H. Claren. This was originally intended as a caricature of the sentimentality of Claren, but what was meant as a parody became a distinct imitation. As it was published under the name of Claren, that aggrieved author had grounds for legal redress, and won the suit which he brought against Hauf. To some extent, however, the tables were turned by the amusing controversy which ensued, and in the lists of wit and satire, hauf came off victor lichtenstein aus der württembergischen geschichte lichtenstein a romantic tale from Württemberg history eighteen twenty six a so-called historical romance none the worse from the fact that its history though always justified was pure fabrication was received with great favor and on the high tide of prosperity the young author set out for a tour through france belgium and germany in eighteen twenty seven he undertook the editorship of the stuttgart morgenblatt and secure of the future through the powerful patronage of the publisher kotte he married a distant cousin of his own name to whom he had long been attached he spent the summer of eighteen twenty seven in the tyrol where he was engaged upon another historical novel which was to deal with the war of freedom of eighteen o nine this was never finished in the autumn of the same year his health began to fail and on october eighteenth eighteen twenty seven he died at stuttgart Hauff's powers of work were enormous and he produced his stories in rapid succession das bild des Kaisers, the portrait of the emperor a poetic piece of romance and die bettlerin vom pont des arts the beggar of the pont des arts are masterpieces of their kind among the best of his productions must be ranked Fantasien im bremer Ratskeller, fantasies in the bremen Ratzkeller, eighteen twenty seven it is however most especially in the series of tales the caravan the sheik of alexandria and the inn in spesart that hauf's high originality is best exemplified he is pre-eminently a story-teller and his pure and lucid style is the transparent medium for the expression of strikingly bold dramatic ideas his wit is singularly delicate yet penetrating and he exercises a fascination over persons of all ages and conditions. The popularity which he at once attained is still unabated. His collected works continue to be issued in numerous editions, and his place in German literature seems now as assured as it has always been in the hearts of his countrymen. Wilhelm Hauf, The Story of the Caliph's Stork, from The Caravan the caliph chazid of baghdad was sitting one fine summer afternoon comfortably on his divan he had slept a little for it was a sultry day and he looked quite refreshed after his nap he smoked a long rosewood pipe sipped now and then a little coffee which a slave poured out for him and stroked his beard contentedly whenever he had enjoyed it in short it could be seen at a glance that the caliph felt very comfortable At such a time it was easy to approach him, as he was very good-tempered and affable, wherefore his Grand Vizier Mansour visited him every day about this time. This afternoon he came as usual, looking, however, very grave, a rare thing for him. The Caliph took the pipe out of his mouth and said, "'Why dost thou make so grave a face, Grand Vizier?' The Grand Vizier folded his arms across his breast, bowed to his master, and answered, "'Master!' whether I assume a grave appearance I know not, but down below in the palace stands a peddler who has such fine wares that it vexes me that I have no money to spare. The caliph, who had long desired to rejoice the heart of his grand vizier, ordered his black slave to fetch the peddler. In a few moments the slave returned with him. He was a little stout man, swarthy in the face and dressed in rags. He carried a box in which he had all sorts of wares, pearls and rings, pistols with richly inlaid stocks goblets and combs the caliph and his vizier inspected everything and the caliph at last bought for himself and vizier a pair of pistols and for the vizier's wife a comb as the pedlar was about to close his box again the caliph caught sight of a little drawer and asked whether that also contained some wares the pedlar pulled out the drawer and exhibited a snuff-box containing a black powder and a piece of paper with peculiar writing on it which neither the caliph nor Mansour could read. These things were given to me one day by a merchant who found them in the streets of Mecca, said the peddler. I know not what they are, but you may have them for a small sum, for they are of no use to me. The caliph, who was very fond of having old manuscripts in his library, though unable to read them, bought both paper and box and dismissed the peddler. He thought, however, he would like to know what the writing meant, and asked the vizier if he knew of no one who could decipher it, most gracious lord and master answered the latter near the great mosque lives a man called salem the learned he knows all languages send for him perhaps he can explain these mysterious signs the learned salem soon arrived salem said the caliph to him salem it is said thou art very learned look at this writing whether thou canst read it if thou canst read thou gettest a new robe of honour from me if thou canst not Thou gettest twelve boxes on the ears, and twenty-five lashes on the soles of the feet, for having been called Salem the learned without cause. Salem bowed and said, Thy will be done, O master. For a long time he looked at the writing, then suddenly he exclaimed, That is Latin, O master, or let me be hung. Say what it means, demanded the caliph, if it is Latin. Salem began to translate. Man who findest this praise allah for his goodness he who takes a pinch of this powder in this box and wherewith says mutabor can change himself into any animal and also understand the language of animals if he afterwards wish to resume his human form let him bow thrice to the east and say the same word but beware when thou art changed that thou laughest not or the magic word departeth from thy memory for ever and thou remainest a beast when salem the learned had read this the caliph was pleased beyond measure he made the learned man swear not to reveal the secret to any one presented him with a splendid robe and dismissed him then turning to his grand vizier he said this i call getting a bargain mansur how glad i am at being able to become an animal come thou to me to-morrow morning we will go then together into the fields take a pinch out of the box and listen to what is said in the air and the water in wood and field next morning scarcely had the caliph chasset breakfasted and dressed himself when the grand vizier appeared as ordered to accompany him on his walk the caliph put the box with the magic powder in his girdle and after having ordered his suite to remain behind he and the grand vizier set out alone on the journey they first passed through the large gardens of the caliph but looked in vain for any living thing on which to try the experiment the vizier at last proposed to pursue their journey to a pond he had often seen many animals especially storks whose grave manners and clappings had always excited his attention the caliph approved of the vizier's proposal and went with him towards the pond having arrived there they saw a stork soberly pacing up and down looking for frogs and chattering something now and then to itself at the same moment they saw far up in the sky another stork hovering in this direction "'I wager my beard, most gracious master,' said the grand vizier. "'This long-legged pair are now having a pleasant talk. "'How would it be if we turned into storks?' "'Wisely spoken,' replied the caliph. "'But first let us consider once more how we may become men again. "'It is easy enough. "'If we bow thrice to the east and say, Mutabor, "'I shall be caliph and thou vizier again. "'But for heaven's sake, no laughing, or we are lost.' While the caliph spoke thus, he saw the other stork hovering over their heads and slowly alighting on the ground. Quickly he snatched the box from his girdle and took a hearty pinch, gave the box to the grand vizier who did the like, and both exclaimed, Mutabor! Then their legs shriveled and became thin and red. The beautiful yellow slippers of the caliph and his vizier changed into ugly storks' feet, Their arms grew into wings, their necks shot up from their shoulders and reached a yard in length, their beards vanished, and soft feathers covered their bodies. You have a pretty beak, Grand Vizier, said the Caliph after a long surprise. By the beard of the Prophet I have never seen such things in my life. Thanks humbly, replied the Vizier, bowing. But if I might dare to say it, I should avow that your highness looks almost handsomer as a stork than as a caliph. But come, if it pleases you, let us listen to our comrades yonder, and hear if we really speak storkish. Meanwhile the other stork had reached the ground. It cleaned its feet with its beak, settled its feathers, and walked up to the first stork. The two new storks hastened to get near them, and to their surprise heard the following conversation. Good morning, madam Longlegs you are early on the meadows thank you dear Clapperbeak. i have been to get a little breakfast would you like to have a quarter of lizard or a little leg of frog much obliged but i have no appetite this morning besides i have come upon quite a different errand on the meadow i am to dance before my father's guests to-day and i want to practise a little quietly thereupon the young stork began to caper about the field in peculiar movements The caliph and Mansor watched her, very much surprised, but when she stood on one leg in a picturesque attitude, and fluttered her wings to increase the effort, neither of them could resist any longer. Laughter without stopping burst from their beaks, from which they only recovered a long time afterwards. The caliph was the first to recover self-possession. That was a joke, he explained, which cannot be bought for gold. What a pity the stupid animal should have been scared by our laughter else they would also have sung, to be sure. But it now occurred to the grand vizier that laughing during the enchantment was forbidden. He therefore communicated his fears to the caliph. By Mecca and Medina, that would be a bad joke if I were to remain a stork. Do bethink thee of the stupid word, I cannot recall it. Three times we must bow to the east and say, Moo, moo, moo. They turned towards the east and kept on bowing continually till their beaks nearly touched the ground. But alas, the magic word had escaped them, and often as the Caliph bowed, and however eagerly his vizier added, Moo, moo, yet every recollection of it had gone, and the poor chassid and his vizier were and remained storks. Sadly wandered the enchanted ones through the fields, not knowing what they should do in their misery. They could not discard their stork plumage, nor could they return into the town and make themselves known, for who would have believed a stork that he was the caliph, and even if one had believed it, would the inhabitants of Baghdad accept a stork for a caliph? Thus they wandered about for several days, living miserably on the fruits of the field, which, however, they could not swallow very well on account of their long beaks, as for lizards and frogs, their stomachs would not relish such foods besides they were afraid of spoiling their appetite with such tidbits their only pleasure in their sad situation was that they could fly and thus they flew often to the high roofs of baghdad to see what was going on in the town during the first days they remarked great uneasiness and grief in the streets but on the fourth day of their enchantment while sitting on the roof of the caliph's palace they saw down below in the street a splendid array the drums and fifes played a man dressed in a gold-embroidered scarlet mantle rode a richly caparisoned horse surrounded by a gaudy train of servants half baghdad rushed about him and everybody shouted hail mizra the ruler of baghdad then the two storks upon the roof of the palace looked at each other and the caliph Chasid said do you guess now why i am enchanted grand vizier this mizra is the son of my mortal enemy the mighty magician Kashnour, who in an evil hour swore revenge on me but still i do not despair come with me thou faithful companion of my misery we will betake ourselves to the grave of the prophet perhaps at that sacred shrine the magic may be dispelled they arose from the roof of the palace and flew towards medina they did not succeed very well in their flying for the two storks had as yet very little practice o master sighed the grand vizier after a couple of hours flight with your leave i can hold out no longer you fly too swiftly for me besides it is dark already and we should do well to seek shelter for the night chasset listened to the request of his servant and seeing beneath them in the valley some ruins which promised a lodging they flew towards it the place where they had settled for the night seemed formerly to have been a castle splendid pillars rose from among the ruins Several chambers, which were still tolerably preserved, testified to the bygone splendor of the building. Chassid and his companion strolled through the passages in search of some dry nook, when suddenly the stork Mansor stopped. Lord and master, he whispered below his breath, were it not foolish for a grand vizier, and still more so for a stork, to fear ghosts? I feel very uneasy, for close by someone sighed and groaned quite distinctly the caliph now also stopped and heard quite plainly a low sob which seemed rather to come from a man than an animal full of anxiety he wanted to go towards the spot whence proceeded the sound of sorrow but the vizier seized him by the wing with his beak and begged him entreatingly not to rush upon new and unknown perils but all was of no avail the caliph who bore a brave heart beneath his stork plumage tore himself away with the loss of some feathers and ran toward a gloomy passage soon he came to a door which was ajar and behind which he heard distinct sighs and moans he pushed open the door with his beak but stopped on the threshold in astonishment in the ruined chamber which was only dimly lighted by a little iron-barred window he saw a great night owl sitting on the ground heavy tears rolled out of its large round eyes and with a hoarse voice it uttered its moans from its hooked beak but when it saw the caliph and his vizier who had also come up in the meantime it gave a loud cry of joy elegantly it wiped the tears from its eye with its brown flecked wings and to the great astonishment of both it cried in good human arabic welcome ye storks you are a good omen to me of my deliverance for through storks i am to be lucky as it was once foretold me when the caliph had recovered from his astonishment He bowed his long neck, set his thin legs in a graceful position, and said, Night-owl, from thy words I believe I see a fellow-sufferer. But alas, thy hope of deliverance through us is in vain. Thou wilt recognize our helplessness in hearing our tale. The night-owl begged him to relate it, and the caliph commenced to relate what we already know. When the caliph had related his story to the owl, she thanked him and said, Now also listen to my tale, and learn how I am no less unlucky than thyself. My father is the king of the Indies, I, his unhappy only daughter, am called Lusa. That magician Kashnur, who has enchanted you, has also brought misfortune upon me. One day he came to my father and asked me in marriage for his son Mizra, but my father, who was a fiery man, had him thrown downstairs. The wretch knew how to approach me again under another shape and one day while i was taking some refreshments in my garden he administered to me disguised as a slave a draught which changed me into this hideous shape fainting from fear he brought me hither and shouted with a terrible voice into my ear here shalt thou remain detestable abhorred even by beasts to thy end or till some one himself in this horrid form voluntarily asks thee to be his wife and thus I revenge myself on thee and on thy haughty father. Since then many months have passed. Lonely and sad, I live as a recluse within these ruins, shunned by the world, a scarecrow even to beasts. Beautiful nature is hidden from me, for I am blind by daylight, and only when the moon pours her wan light over these ruins does the obscuring veil drop from my eyes. When the owl had finished, she again wiped her eyes with her wings, For the story of her woes had moved her to tears. The Caliph was plunged into deep thought by the story of the princess. If I am not mistaken, said he, there is between our misfortunes a secret connection. But where can I find the key to this riddle? The owl answered him, O Master, such is also my belief. For once in my infancy, a wise woman foretold of me that a stork should bring me a great fortune and I know one way by which perhaps we may free ourselves. The caliph was very much surprised, and asked what way she meant. The enchanter who has made us both unhappy, said she, comes once a month to these ruins. Not far from here is a hall where he holds orgies with numerous companions. Often I have spied them there. They then relate to one another their vile deeds. Perhaps he may pronounce the magic word which you have forgotten." "'Oh, dearest princess!' exclaimed the caliph. "'Say, when comes he, and where is the hall?' "'The owl was silent a moment, and then said, "'You must not take it ill, but only on one condition can I fulfil your wish. "'Speak out, speak out!' cried Chasset. "'Command all, everything of me. "'It is this, that I may also become free, "'which can only be if one of you offer me his hand.' The storks seemed somewhat taken aback at this proposition, and the caliph beckoned his servant to go out with him a little. "'Grand Vizier,' said the caliph outside, "'this is a sorry bargain, but you might take her.' "'Indeed,' answered the Grand Vizier, "'that my wife, when I come home, may scratch my eyes out. Besides, I am an old man, while you are still young and single, and could better give your hand to a young and fair princess.' "'That is just it?' sighed the caliph, whilst sadly drooping his wings. Who, then, has told thee that she is young and fair, that is buying a pig in a poke? They counseled one another for a long time. At last, however, when the caliph saw that his vizier would rather remain a stork than wed the owl, he resolved to fulfill the condition himself. The owl was immensely pleased. She confessed to them that they could not have come at a more favorable time, for the enchanters were very likely to assemble that night. She quitted the chamber with the storks to lead them to the hall. They went for a long time through a gloomy passage. At length, through a half-fallen wall, gleamed a bright light towards them. Having arrived there, the owl advised them to remain perfectly quiet. They could, through the gap near which they stood, overlook a great hall. It was supported all around by pillars and splendidly decked. Many brilliant colored lamps replaced the light of day. In the center of the hall was a round table, covered with many and choicest meats. Round this table was a couch on which sat eight men. In one of these men, the stork recognized the peddler who had sold them the magic powder. His neighbor asked him to relate his latest deeds. Amongst others, he also related the story of the Caliph and his vizier. What sort of word hast thou given them? asked another enchanter, a very difficult latin one namely mutabor when the storks heard this at their hole in the wall they were nearly beside themselves with joy they ran on their long legs so quickly to the threshold of the ruins that the owl could hardly follow them there the caliph addressed the owl with emotion deliverer of my life and the life of my friend Accept me for thy spouse, in eternal gratitude for that which thou hast done for us.' Then he turned to the east. Thrice the storks bowed their long necks to the sun, which just then was rising above the mountains. "'Mutabor!' they exclaimed, and straightway they were changed, and in the great joy of their new-sent life, master and servant fell into each other's arms, laughing and crying.' but who can describe their astonishment on turning round? A lovely lady, grandly dressed, stood before them. Smiling, she gave her hand to the caliph. Do you no longer recognize your night owl? she said. It was she. The caliph was so charmed with her beauty and grace that he exclaimed, My greatest fortune was that of having been a stork. The three now traveled together towards Baghdad the caliph found in his clothes not only the box with the magic powder but also his purse he therefore bought in the nearest village what was needful for their journey and so they soon came to the gates of baghdad but there the arrival of the caliph caused much surprise people had believed him dead and they were therefore highly pleased to have again their beloved ruler all the more however burned their hatred toward the impostor they entered the palace and took prisoner the old enchanter and his son. The caliph sent the old man to the same chamber in the ruins that the princess had lived in as an owl, and had him hanged there. But to the son, who knew nothing of his father's art, the caliph gave the choice whether he would die or snuff, and when he chose the latter, the grand vizier handed him the box. A good strong pinch and the magic word of the caliph changed him into a stork the caliph had him shut up in an iron cage and placed in his garden long and happy lived the caliph chasset with his wife the princess his most pleasant hours were always those when the grand vizier visited him during the afternoon then they very frequently spoke of their stork adventures and when the caliph was very jovial he amused himself with imitating the grand vizier when he was a stork he strutted up and down the chamber with stiff legs clapped, fluttered his arms as though they were wings, and showed how vainly the latter had turned to the east, crying all the while, Moo! Moo! This entertainment was at all times a great pleasure to Madame Caliph and her children, but when the Caliph kept on clapping a little too long, and nodded, and cried, Moo! Moo! Then the vizier threatened him, smiling, that he would communicate to Madame Caliph, what had been discussed outside the door of the night owl princess end of section 35